0: Legba, bas, les bas, Legba, bas, les bas, les bas, les bas, les bas, les bas, For many societies, trees serve a dual function, connecting us to both the physical realm and the spiritual world. Trees act as facilitators, so to speak, between humans, the natural environment, and the divine. Given the multifaceted and multifunctional role of trees, they constitute what anthropologist Laura Rival has described as some of the most visible and potent symbols of social process and collective identity among humans. Within many music cultures, Trees provide not only metaphorical inspiration, but the physical materials that are necessary for supporting rich musical traditions. In Haiti, trees which provide wood for the culturally critical tambour drum are crucial for, as Rebecca Dirksen writes, knitting together the physical and metaphysical. The ecologist Suzanne Simard explains that trees exist within a web of interdependence, relationships that extend beyond the forest ecology, engaging with human society. Rapid deforestation in Haiti thus threatens the sustainability of Haitian cultural identity, which is deeply rooted in the social and spiritual meanings of the tambou drumming tradition. You are listening to Ethnomusicology Today, a podcast produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology devoted to the exploration of contemporary issues in global music studies. I'm Trevor Harvey. In this episode, we talk to Rebecca Dirksen about her article, Haiti's Drums and Trees, Facing Loss of the Sacred, which was published in the winter 2019 issue of the journal Ethnomusicology. Rebecca has spent the past two decades deeply involved in the musical culture of Haiti, Building on her long-standing interest in environmental issues, Rebecca's recent research considers the significance of trees to Haitian musical traditions, exploring how colonialist deforestation has threatened to dramatically alter Haiti's environmental and musical culture. In her article, Rebecca grapples with how Haitian tambou drum makers and musicians negotiate the continuity of traditional musical practices amid the changing ecological, economical, and political landscapes of modern Haiti. I wanted to just start with asking you, what, what drew you to study Haitian musical culture?
1: Oh, well, that's a really um, excellent question and also a very, very long and meandering one. I'll try to keep it a little bit shorter. But effectively, um, I first went to Haiti in 2003, right after I graduated from Lawrence University, where I received a degree in piano performance. And there was an opportunity to join a summer music uh, camp associated with the ecole uh, Centrinite, um, And this was a program that would run about one month every summer. And um, I just leapt at the opportunity to travel abroad. Um, And um, so it was more of um, a sense of adventure and trying to figure out, well, what do I do now that I've graduated with a degree in piano performance? Uh What's next? Uh And so ended up uh, going down to teach um, percussion lessons and piano lessons and um, conducted a wind ensemble. And that extended to many, many years of, Uh, going back and enjoying the summer music camp experience. Mm -hmm. And I just found that space um, really a moment to think more deeply about what it is that a musician does. Mm -hmm. And then for many years, you know, it's now been, oh, I don't know, 18 years or so. Um, You know, over time, I developed this relationship with the country where I have now spent probably more of my adult life living in Port-au-Prince than I have anywhere else. So, that has allowed me to expand into many different genres and um, recognize some of the uh, the more pressing, bigger picture questions.
0: One of the things that you used to describe kind of what drew you towards this research was reconciliation. And much of your, your published research on Haitian musical culture addresses tensions. For example, in, in a 2013 article from uh, your book, Traditional Music, You write about this tension between the supposed cultural richness of Haiti and the apparent economic poverty. So in in this article, you begin with this quote from the Haitian writer Jacques Roumain to highlight tensions between traditionalism and modernism. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your choice in using Jacques Roumain right up front in this article.
1: Well, I think that, first of all, I'm always looking for um, ways to tell a story in a compelling way. And I'm always looking for to listen, the voices that are emerging out of that context. And so for me, as I am um, reading this, um, this author who was publishing back in the 1940s and who was working um, intimately with uh, trying to find ways to help revalue the experience of um, people who were um, living in the countryside. I'm trying to bring them into this national dialogue and kind of reconcile the ways that uh, these people, um, they say, Andeo, or on the outside, have been kind of pushed out of society, who have not been included in many ways, who have been um, disregarded or um, dismissed as though they are somehow lesser than their um, generally wealthier, generally um, formally educated urban um, Uh, compatriots. And Jacques Roumain was identifying something that was, he thought, authentically Haitian in the cultural practices and traditions of those who resided in the rural areas of the country. Uh He also foregrounds this issue of, um, you know, if you're cutting trees, then you um, you are changing the environment around you and you are depriving um, yourself of the resources that the land naturally brings for you. And this then is going to compromise your ability to care for the land. So in locating these really complex stories that are um, being written from this experience, for me, that helps me as I'm trying to convey these very difficult conversations for uh. A, another group of readers who may not um, have that background history or that background um, experience to understand exactly what it is. So I suppose it's, it's also kind of an emotional process. How do we connect to the story? And that's part of why um, I have chosen to open this particular article with Jacques Woman.
0: So these, these themes that you talk about, right. Um, uh, themes of the land of, of ecology, um, tensions, between families, uh, between as you as you write about tradition and modernism, uh, and and the larger you know political and global issues connected with this, you explore these through tambou or drums, um, which in many ways are at the center of your study because they are so important to Haitian musical culture, both sonically and symbolically. Maybe you can just describe the tambou for us in terms of their cultural importance in Haiti?
1: Tambou can be both a uh, generic term and it's also a relatively specific one. So um, we could, for example, refer to um, tambou as drums more broadly. Um, of both sacred and secular varieties, um, we would typically associate uh, the term tambou with those uh, conical drums that conga. Uh, Uh, drums uh, that are played by commercial roots bands, for example, Um, or uh, sometimes we'll see uh, drums of various forms that are being used during carnival uh, festivities and rara processionals. Uh, Rara is the pre-Lenten or uh, Lenten uh, slash Easter season uh, festivals, sacred festivals that happen uh, largely in the countryside, but also sometimes they're tied to urban areas as well. And so there are uh, drums that are used in those contexts. But then also, when we talk about tambu, there are other settings in which we will understand them to be part of um, voodoo expressivity. So within voodoo, the, the tambu, though, still isn't necessarily a specific instrument um, because there are many forms, there are many purposes, there are many sonic roles mm-hmm. um, that these instruments or that these drums can take, even within that sacred setting. Beyond that, then we have regional distinctions. Mm-hmm. So for example, in uh, Port-au-Prince, in the capital um, and the surrounding uh, region, we'll often talk about rada drums and peitwo drums, right? So rada is um, an instrument that is more customarily associated with Africa, um, which is also known as Guinea. Um, a form that you still see um, quite similarly in Benin, uh, Nigeria, Togo, the, the realm of uh, Daome, the kingdom of Dalme. Parallel to that, we'll also see Petuo drums that are somewhat more contemporary. I, I use that um, very loosely because there's still an ancient history that goes with this. But rada drums are um, the instruments that look a little bit more like congo drums. They're uh-huh. associated um, with practices that have emerged um, in the new world, but they're also ties to the Congo as well. and so there are different types of rhythms that are played on these these two different sets of uh, instruments um, that go with different sets of spirits. Uh, the arada drums are associated with uh, the so the so-called older, um, sl- uh, slower, and uh, uh, the the rhythms tend to be um, kind of rooted more in a longer uh, history. The power uh, that emerges from the rhythms uh, takes time to act. Mm-hmm. Um, It's something that is there with you. You carry um, the ancestors with you, the rhythms with you. And um, on the contrary, the paid drums um, are associated with kind of a more fiery, a a faster, uh, a hotter, a so-called hotter uh, rhythm that acts very, very quickly in that um, the work that it does is associated more with um, these principles that require uh, speed. Now, again, those are extremely broad generalization i wouldn't ever want to leave it there in terms of describing these two forms of instruments but in terms of just getting a general sense of what we're talking about you know hopefully that's a, a sufficient loss for now though so in the Bonit, which is where my research is largely located um, the drum maker that i profile um, calls the drums that he makes um dalme um, and congo so he he is associating them with these uh geographic spaces mm-hmm. um in africa um and uh, you'll notice some overlap here in terms of uh, how he describes them Daome, being related to the the rada as we would call them in port au prince whereas the congo have more similarities with the the petro, the petro drums that we see in port au prince um, but his terminology really um, uh, differs a bit um, and that's within the sacred space he also makes drums that he calls um akord which means with uh, strings uh, so effectively there are these long strings that connect the the head to the base, and they're used to tighten the tension on the head. Um, and he he makes other drums like um, matinique, which is um, a, largely a secular uh, instrument as well. There are a number of different drums that kind of fit with within this kind of umbrella term of tambou. The significance to um, Haiti in terms of the drum as a symbol, however, is, is profound. I mean, prior to independence, while still the colony of Saint Domingue, you have Um, These instruments, these drums, that were being um, played um, as enslaved people were working in the sugarcane fields, to keep up energy, to keep up pace of work. Mm -hmm. And then, when we saw the Haitian Revolution, there is an account of the first um, meeting where, to launch the Haitian Revolution, this sacred setting, the sacred um, Vodou gathering, used the beating of the drums to really generate that energy to launch the effort toward the revolution. So then you have the symbol really compacted into the origin stories of this nation.
0: Right, but on these larger ecological concerns connected with the tambou, What are the environmental crises that Haitians face and how do they impact traditional musical values?
1: Again, a really critical question and one that would probably take us days to get through. we were talking nonstop. Sure. <laughs> But just to list some of the intersecting parts here, you know, we need to talk about climate change uh-huh. and with climate change goes rising sea levels. Um, at the moment, we're not hearing much conversation about rising sea levels in Haiti as much at the moment, but it is absolutely of primary concern to this small Caribbean island nation. Um, more perceptively though, um, people do notice these vicious uh, cycles between periods of drought, and hurricanes that um, are uh, throwing people into um, some very complicated and difficult to survive situations. In addition, we have centuries of land use that has been quite aggressive from the pre-Columbian era to the present, where um, uh, local populations have really relied on this agrarian economy, um, especially. Um, with the plantation system relying so heavily on sugarcane and and tobacco crops. And together, these crops enabled Saint-Domingue to become the most productive and most lucrative colony in the new world. So you all of a sudden have this tension when you um, overthrow this system of aggressive land use that requires the the cutting of trees um, in order to be profitable. And, you know, what is the process of reconciliation after you denounce the system of um, plantation economy? So we're seeing that play out. Mm -hmm. But besides the deforestation um, for crops, for uh, sugarcane, for uh, tobacco, then following the revolution, um, we saw a shift into um, lumber exports that spanned 150 years, 200 years that really ravaged the the island, um, the nation of its um, hardwood forests. In particular, those that are really valuable, like walnut or acaju. Uh And so all of a sudden you have these gorgeous mahogany forests, and those have been extracted almost as though it's a a genocide of trees. Mm -hmm. But here in the story, I am focusing in on uh, the context of centuries of deforestation and that physical link between trees and instruments.
0: So thinking about this this link that you're just talking about, how, you know, how everything is so intricately connected. You you describe in the article the relationship between drums and trees as a knitting together of various planes of physical existence dealing with human bodies and bodies in nature and with earth beings and divine beings. And I really enjoyed that quote. I, I that was just really beautifully written there. Talk a little bit more about this this uh, interrelationship or knitting together between music, the environment, and Haitians.
1: I think my thinking on this is really strongly influenced by a metaphysical thinker, drummer, um, named Jean-Michel Yamba, who explained the drums to me as being. Um, the union of the botanical being with the animal b- being, and um, these two beings that have to live together on Earth and find some way to move forward together. So, when you have kind of that that coming together, that union of the botanical, in other words, the the tree that that creates the form of the drum, the base of the drum, that conical portion, together with the The animal, the skinhead, the cowhide or the goat hide that's stretched on top of it, you can't have the drum with one of those parts only. Mm -hmm. You need to have both of those to make this particular type of drum. And only together do they sound. He also describes how um, there's a magic inside of this instrument that is made because of that magnetic force Mm -hmm. that is found in the coming together of the botanical and the animal. And he assesses that there is a medicinal quality or a therapeutic quality to hearing this union, um, to the the vibrations, to the rhythms that um, come through, that sound through the instrument. said then he views the tambu as um kind of a almost like a vessel like this magical uh container that holds the entirety of the universe with inside and i found that really profound in terms of this thing that can be held under a drummer's hands Mm -hmm. you know an individual a person can um, know the right rhythms to play to evoke this power this um this sound this therapeutic um, music and bring it forward under their hands. And yet in doing that and playing those rhythms, they're tapping into the, the rhythms of the universe.
0: In addition to your relationship with Jean-Michel Yamba, you, you also talk quite a bit and focus quite a bit in this article on uh, Charles Cine. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your experience visiting Charles in the Valley.
1: Um, we came with a um, group of people initially Uh, To meet him, I was looking for um, a drum maker, and I had heard all sorts of stories about how this was the individual that I had to meet because um, he was just uh, legendary in terms of the quality of the instruments that he was able to make, but also because he was somebody who whose instruments were those that were used in the sacred lacou in that region for over half a century, and that's a really high um, honor, um, first of all, to have your instruments providing the um, that sonic experience for these sacred lakou, or these sacred yards. Um, but these particular yards, which are Sufnan, Sukri, and Baju, happen to be um, recently designated as official sites of national patrimony. And so they have kind of that national um, recognition and honor, and they are also sites where pilgrims come. From both within the country, um, but also um, from the diaspora, uh, so you, you draw both uh, local and international spiritual pilgrims to these spaces, uh-huh. and all of these people convening in these sacred yards then are somehow touched by the instruments that he's making.
0: How does how does he view his role as a drum maker in relation to the spiritual and cultural health of? His- his community.
1: And I should say that Charles Sine passed away in March of 2019. Oh, okay. Um, but he, I don't believe he ever conceived of himself um, as though he were a spiritual leader or anything. I think it was more that he saw that he was called to um, make these sacred instruments. And um, it was the spirits themselves, the Loa, who called him. Um, while sleeping, while in a dream to come and make these um, these sacred objects.
0: You describe at one point Charles Sonet as having a sense of resignation regarding the environmental change and its impact on on drum making and on musical culture. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how Charles Sainé or or others that you worked with face those those challenges and uh, and cope with that.
1: For Charles Siné, I think that he was acutely aware and observing that there were changes in the ways that he was having to make instruments, simply because the species of trees that he preferred were becoming increasingly difficult to find and afford. And so when you change materials, that's then going to change the type of Instrument that you make, and it's going to have different properties. It's going to sound a little differently. And I think that he found that he had to resign himself to accepting these changes and finding ways to continue to make the tambour, regardless of the frustrations that he felt um, when he wasn't able to locate the right type of tree. But when I met Charles Siné, he was already well into his eighties, and so he'd seen quite a lot in his life, and. Um, I guess by resignation, I don't mean to imply that he didn't care about this or that he was giving up. I think it was more that, or even that he didn't understand. I think it was more that um, so many people who have been uh, marginalized or subjected to um, these extreme circumstances slotted into this particular role that leaves you feeling as though you're constantly being left behind or, you know, you're not able to um, somehow have that that profitable life that others around you seem to be having that sense of saying, you know, I resign myself. There's a Creole phrase that's somewhat like that. Um, I think it's more, it's more a mode of survival rather than a condition of acceptance.
0: In in your article from music cultures, you include some text for this song about healing leaves. Um, I wanted to just kind of give, give an opportunity to, for you to speak to or speak about specifically songs or songs te- texts in haiti that that evoke that sense of of the symbolic importance of trees to haitian culture and how that's expressed and explored through through musical performance
1: yeah i think there are numerous songs that we could cite and you know beginning with the one that you raised Twa fe toa racino um J'étais oublié, ramasse songe which uh, means three leaves three three roots um, the throwdown is to forget to gather up is to remember ma fait toi la racine
0: <speaking> j'étais <in Spanish> oublié, ramasse songe
1: <speaking> ma fait toi la racine j'étais <Spanish> I think one of the most important things for us to understand about so much of this traditional song repertoire is that there are multiple layers of meaning that we need to be equipped to listen for. And so while we are invoking, um, you know, a, a physical description of uh, leaves, for example, and the significance of um, so many types of leaves. As having healing properties, we're also looking at kind of deeper layers of meaning as well. Um, and so, um, beyond even inferring that there is a connection to some sort of physical pharmaceutical value um, to using these natural resources in the right ways, there's also, um, you know, pointing out that there are connections through. Um, These natural life sources or earth beings um, um, enable us to see our connection to heritage, to ancestors, to another way of life. And so when we are throwing down the knowledge of the healing leaves if we're rejecting it, throwing it onto the grounds, then in some ways so it's like questions we're of cutting off sovereignty archive of memory, and what it means, especially for this connection fought to, so hard um, for our independence. ancestral wisdom to our mm-hmm. um, our past. And when we um, when we um, gather them up again it's as though we are um, coming back to um, reincorporate ourselves into um, this longer history Uh For Haitians, there are some ways in which we've rejected a lot of Haitian history, and by trampling that under our feet or by um, deciding that we want to um, go a different direction in our future by trying to grasp onto something that's, that's new and contemporary and modern or not part of what our past is, then we are also falling into that trap of, you know, using up all of our natural resources, our natural resources in terms of cultural heritage, but also in terms of the actual natural environment. And so it becomes like this this post-colonial critique as well. So multiple layers of reading a song text um, through just two or three lines of lyrics that have all of those meanings and that are read by various various listeners or various singers in different ways. And all of those meanings come together to make something um, that together is part of the archive of, of life.
0: Yeah, so we've, we've talked about the symbolic na- nature of Tambu a bit. Uh, can you also address the symbolic importance of trees, uh, the source from which Tambu were built?
1: Absolutely, I think this is where things become really exciting because we can look at um, the tree um, in terms of its architecture and the different planes that it is crossing. So, for example, we have the roots below ground, we have the trunk which is standing um, flat on the earth, and then we have um the branches that reach up into the heavens. And so this then comes to represent um, kind of the vertical and horizontal axes of human and divine interaction. Um, And also, it it, uh, draws in this other really powerful symbol of the crossroads, where we're seeing kind of the intersection between um, physical and metaphysical realities, you know, the human being standing on earth, looking up to the sky, to the divine. Mm -hmm. And all of this comes together um, symbolically, even just within the, the form of the tree, the architecture. Um, the symbolism, uh, I think, also taps into that whole conversation of archives, where um, we can think of eternal arbors uh-huh. um in the sense that the roots are carrying back the original, um, the quote-unquote original humans um, created by bon dieu or or God. So I suppose this would mean kind of evoking like a, a garden of Eden, or for example, the the tree is sometimes considered to have its own place within the voodoo pantheon in the trees you can hear the voices of the spirits um it's a, a an access point um, for the ancestors there are certain um very highly skilled um Vodouison or high level voodooism who have access to uh the tree uh, to certain types of trees in order to uh transfer into a spiritual realm and so we have those levels of of uh, symbolicness we've t- spoken also about the the leaves, which I suppose we could think of almost as a crown um, of the tree and how they have healing properties um, there are certain trees um, that are truly significant. Um, one that I'd like to call attention to in particular is the mapu, which I work a lot with um, the Mapu are these massive, massive, um, trees that um, can grow to be 200 300 feet they they are they can be ancient um, many uh, centuries old and they have these vast root systems that open up um, these kind of natural underground cisterns that then carry water with them and there's this really important connection I think to uh, the process of revolution in the country where the um, as enslaved people were fleeing plantations, when they were being followed by these um, violent colonial masters, um, many people were able to sneak into the roots of the tree and um, find a safe haven. The Mapu then took on this this magical quality to it, um, where it was literally saving lives as people were making their paths uh, making their way towards safety, it's very difficult to say, okay, so where does the tree ab- as a natural object end and where does it become part of this um, fluid space between human and more-than-human worlds?
0: They're, they're part of that connection, right? Drawing that bridge between, between all of this historical symbolic meaning and, and, and human lived experience.
1: Precisely. Yeah, the history is contained within every single drum that is made. And when a drummer is playing an instrument, they're tapping into that archive of knowledge, that wisdom, that experience. And I think that's one of the the spectacular qualities of the instrument itself.
0: Rebecca Dirksen is an associate professor in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. Her work on Haitian music focuses on grassroots development, disaster responses, diverse environmentalisms, and applied scholarship. Her research has been published in the journals Ethnomusicology, the Yearbook for Traditional Music, and Latin American Music Review, among others. She is author of After the Dance, The Drums Are Heavy, Carnival Politics and Musical Engagement in Haiti, published by Oxford University Press in 2020. And she co-edited the volume Performing Environmentalisms, Expressive Culture and Ecological Change, published by University of Illinois Press in 2021. Her article, Haiti's Drums and Trees, Facing Loss of the Sacred, was published in the winter 2019 issue of the journal Ethnomusicology. Depuis tant vous frappez
1: pa ka pala ay 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 depuis tant vous frappez pa ka pala yo t'aime mettre ma chanson hibou
0: The musicians featured in this episode include Riva Nairy Crisel, Jeff Pierre and Poulo Lacor whose song Depi Tambu Frappé is featured as the closing track to this episode. Depi Tambu Frappé, which translates to As Soon As The Drum Beats, is available on the album Que Wen Fé Muen Mal, or known in French as Au Sa Mal, which Rebecca co-produced with Kendi Verlus through their co-founded record label Manumba Records. <laughs> I am fortunate to have worked with a terrific team of undergraduate research assistants at the University of Iowa on this episode. Thanks to Katie Greiner, Cheyenne McGuire, Dean Weib, and Kyle Monholland. Thanks also to our consulting editor, Harry Berger, and our advisory board members, Laske, David Kaminsky, Leon Garcia-Corona, and Portia Maltzby. Additional support and encouragement has been provided by SEM Executive Director Stephen Stempfley. This podcast is produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology with support from the University of Iowa College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Iowa Center for Research by Undergraduates.